When I moved back to Amherst, Nova Scotia after 15 years away, something had changed. Like many other towns, our local businesses and business people have been overwhelmed by large corporations and monopolies. This hurt the spirit of our communities. We lost our autonomy, our self-reliance, and our hope. So join me as I learn more about where we are now, how we got here, and what we can do to take back our communities. I'm Andrew Cameron, and Monopolies Killed My Hometown. Okay, let's get into it. Let's get into chain stores. And I want to start off with the fact that some of the most dominant chain stores that exist today also existed in 1934. I'm specifically thinking about grocery stores, you know, the Westin, so Superstore, Loblaws, and Sobeys. You know, I don't have a conclusion based on this, just felt like it was a key point to lead off with. So in 1930, the Census of Merchandising classified any commonly owned retail chain with four or more stores and a centralized head office as a chain store. And so there was rapid growth in chain stores leading up to 1930. For example, in 1930, there were 8,534 chain stores in Canada, and about 4,600 of them had opened since 1925. Also, what's interesting is this analysis doesn't look at any chains that only have two or three stores which could be more of like a regionally dominant chain or regionally dominant stores. There are some similarities between department stores and chain stores. They both depend on large volume of sales and quick turnover of their inventory. They also both heavily marketed lower prices and great value to consumers. But there are two big differences between department and chain stores. First, a department store is essentially many stores under one roof, which makes it difficult for department stores to open and close as economic conditions demand. But a chain store is basically the same store under many different roofs. So this gives the chain store much more flexibility to open and close the stores as needed. And so the commission found because of this flexibility, chain stores fared better than department stores over the depression. Because basically a chain store could close an underperforming store or in a community that's really struggling and they could just close it and move on and they will be fine. It's tough for a department store to just close down one department and carry on, right? And like I think about that in Amherst, if Margolians or Dales or a department store was still open and things are struggling, it's hard for them to just kind of close down like the women's clothing department. That's hard for them to do. But if Walmart in town's not performing well, Walmart can just close the store and move on. They can just do that. And there is research out there that that's what Walmart does. And Charles Fisman wrote the book, The Walmart Effect, and he talks about this, that Basically, Walmarts come to town, dominate the retail scene, and independent stores start to close. Then if the Walmart store is not doing well, they just close the doors and move on. So now that community has very few independent stores left, no Walmart providing the services it did. And then the community stuck with the infrastructure that was built for it and this giant store that what do you do with a Walmart building if, it, if a Walmart's not there anymore? And a second big difference between chain and department stores is the chain store has centralized buying, marketing, and administrative functions, with the local store manager mostly focused on managing wage expenses. And this is compared to department stores that had more decentralized management. So this means that chain stores can exert their mass buying pressure and mass buying techniques at the head office level, putting pressure on manufacturers and suppliers, whereas department stores were doing it more locally, more regionally. So that's the second big difference between those. 
But I want to start with the commission's first key question about chain stores and then get back into the specifics of what they found and what they were talking about. So the commission said first, quote, An extremely important question of whether the chain stores are likely to develop to such an extent as to secure a dangerously dominating position in the field of retail merchandising to the detriment and possibly the virtual extinction of the independent merchant. So the commission concluded that over time, as long as independent retailers are not subjected to unfair competition, chain stores and independent stores will compete and the store that is able to deliver the best value of distribution, price and service will win or survive. In that statement, not subject to unfair competition is doing a pile of work. What does that mean? How does that find? There's a lot covered in there. And so one thing I often think about is at the same time, the U.S. Congress was so concerned about the dominance of the AMP grocery store, they passed the Robinson-Patman Act. Fundamentally, this act detailed exactly what large firms could and couldn't do. The point was to create clear rules about what a fair economy was and what an unfair economy is. The last episode, ILSR did a detailed report called Boxed Out about the Robinson-Patman Act and the impacts it had and basically how well it worked and what happened when they stopped enforcing it. And so one of the things I find is it is challenging to talk about large retailers and smaller independent retailers today because it's important to acknowledge that large retailers absolutely do phenomenal things and do phenomenal work, right? Walmart's logistics are top-notch. The merchandising in an Apple store is beautiful. And Costco offers outstanding value with all their products. You know, but the thing is, none of these stores provide the same level of service as an independent retailer does, or even none of these stores have the same attachment to community that an independent merchant does, right? And so for me, I think back to, I sold TVs at the Future Shop in the mid 2000s. Future Shop, it was owned by Best Buy, it was a home electronics store, you know, computers, appliances, home theater, iPods, MP3s, like all that sort of stuff. And so when I was there, we had many customers come in, ask us many questions because we knew our products. We knew them well. Then they would leave and go buy from Costco because it was cheaper. In this example, like I understand, you know, Future Shop was owned by Best Buy. So not really talking about an independent retailer. And the other thing that I know is though that like us working at the Future Shop, we also did this to the independent retailers in Halifax, right? Like I know there's Gloobies and Peak Audio People would go there, ask, get their information, then come buy from us because we were cheaper. But one of the other things is that, you know, like going back to independent retailers, like I know that when my mom ran her clothing store, that she would buy clothes specifically with a customer in mind, right? She knew her customers, she knew her clients, she understood what they needed and got that for them. And so Walmart, Apple, Best Buy, they're not offering that same level of service. But the thing is, the smaller retailers don't have the same logistical operations as Walmart, Amazon, etc. So I guess, you know, the key caveat to this is, you know, one is that nothing is black and white, nothing is all good or all bad. And as long as everybody's subject to the same rules and fair competition, you know, we should be okay. And this is the same discrepancy that the commission found when they investigated chain stores. They said they heard some evidence that chains were destructive and uneconomic, that chains needlessly injured producers and small merchants without a corresponding benefit to the consumer. And all that chains were focused on was lowering their prices, no matter who they hurt in their process, including their employees. But on the flip side of this, they also found that chain stores created a new and better method of merchandising and setting up their stores. So chains were able to quickly and efficiently distribute high quality goods, especially food, 
and they did reduce prices for consumers. So when you're trying to figure out the economic benefit of chain stores versus independent stores, there are pros and cons to both, right? Again, as the commission said, as long as they're subject to fair competition. So it's a gray area in which one's best. When you're trying to identify the economic benefits, you can argue this forever. But for me, what I find fascinating is the commission's next question. Does the consumer receive greater value in dealing through chain stores? To me, this question is beautiful because they're not asking about price. They're asking about value. And I mean, we all know the difference between value and price, right? Like I can go to Walmart and buy a George's white t-shirt and it's going to be cheaper than the t-shirt I ordered from Stanfield's in Truro last month. But I know the Stanfield shirt is going to give me better value in the long term. It will last longer and it'll hold its shape better than that George's shirt. That's the difference between price and value. So the commission again found that the chain stores were claiming they offered the best value to consumers because they offered the best price. And this is extremely reminiscent of the consumer welfare standard that we adopted in the 80s for all mergers and antitrust work. Basically, we decided that if consumers pay less or a merger doesn't cause consumers to pay more, then yeah, everything's fine and it's good and this is the best value. But the Price Spreads Commission didn't buy that argument when it was being made by the chain stores in the 1930s. I mean, they saw through all the consumer welfare BS right at the beginning. So to quote the commission, Even if we could prove that consumers save nine cents out of every dollar in dealing through the large department or chain stores, that would not tell the whole story. There are considerations other than price, such as quality and service, which enter into value received. I mentioned above, Charles Fisman wrote The Walmart Effect. One of the stories that stuck with me at that point was the story about Levi's jeans. So Levi's jeans, I always knew them as like this high quality top end brand of jeans and they've been made in the US for over 100 years or whatever. And I think it was in the mid to late 2000s, they were struggling to meet their sales targets. They'd never sold in Walmart before, they'd chosen not to, but they were struggling to meet their sales targets. So eventually they reached out to Walmart to start selling in the stores. And Walmart basically told them what Walmart would pay Levi's for their jeans. So Levi's went out and created a lower quality pair of jeans just to meet the price points that Walmart wanted. And so they started selling them in Walmart and they started selling more. But what happened was to the consumer, they didn't understand the difference between the $100 pair of Levi's and what's the difference between the $50 pair of Levi's. Consumers stopped caring. They didn't care about the value difference between the two pairs of jeans. They just cared about the price. That difference destroyed the value of the high-end no, not even the high-end Levi's, the standard pair of Levi's jeans. And so Levi's stopped being able to sell those as much. And they were starting to sell more of the $50 jeans at Walmart. Then Walmart came and said, great, you're doing so much sales through us. Next year, we need them for cheaper. And this eventually forced through all sorts of quality cuts through Levi's so that they're not the same level of jeans that they were previously. And that's what happens when you look solely at price and not value, where you're not looking at price and quality. And so one of the other things that the commission talked about with independent merchants was, is they would offer credit, they would offer delivery, they could offer telephone ordering and other services. To me, this still holds true. So one of my friends runs a small grocery and butcher store in Amherst, and his father opened it years ago. And so I know my friend will still take phone orders, and he will deliver the groceries to people in town. I mean, it's nice that Superstore eventually brought in online ordering and curbside pickup, but that doesn't beat calling the local store, having them gather the groceries and deliver them to you. Because I mean, like when you stop and think about it, if you're someone without a vehicle 
or even if you're someone with a small child at home or an adult at home that you need to look after and you can't get out to go to the store, this personal delivery service is such an added benefit to you because it takes that pressure of having to get to the store off of you. And so there was another medium-sized grocery store in Amherst, Jerry's, and they had tabs, right? You could go and pick up your stuff, put it on your account, give them your phone number, gets charged to your account, you pay it at the end of the month. And this worked out great for my parents. If they needed some stuff, it was only, you know, what, two or three blocks away from our house. They could send me on my bike. I could go over, pick the things up. They could even call ahead and have it ready for me. I'd go over, pick it up, put it on the tab, take it home. I, I don't think I'm that old, but every so often I start telling these stories and I go, this is going to sound so foreign to anybody, whatever, 25 years and younger, and this is definitely one of them. But at the same store, I remember I had friends whose parents would send them over to pick up their smokes for them, put them on their tab and bring them home. I swear I'm really not that old. Anyways, I'm going to keep talking about grocery stores because the other thing was like that was such a pleasant sized grocery store to go to. Right, I was down in Berwick, Nova Scotia last summer, and Berwick has two medium-sized grocery stores in town. The downside is one is Foodland, which is owned by Sobeys, and the other is The Independent, which is owned by Loblaws. So they're not really locally owned stores, but medium-sized, they were so much more pleasant to shop in than the gigantic superstores, the gigantic Walmarts. Like, I don't always need 20 different kinds of chips and eight different bags of flowers. And I just preferred the more pleasant atmosphere. I preferred just a smaller size store to get around. Even when we lived down in Yarmouth, there was the Dayton Red and White, which was just around our house. Just a medium store, easy to run in. You need a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk, three minutes. It wasn't like Superstore, where you end up parking far from the store. You got to walk all the way into the store. Then you got to walk all the way around the outside of the store to pick up a carton of milk. These were just so much more pleasant. And I would love to have more options of these medium-sized stores around. Ideally, locally owned but even just medium stores. Anyways, back to <laughs> the report. And so like I mentioned above, the commission figures that in an economy with fair competitive rules, the best independent and chain stores will survive. And the best being the one that provides the greatest value to the customer, not just the lowest price. And using that logic, you can flip it around. In an unfair economy, the chain stores should survive at the expense of the independent retailer. Not necessarily the best store will survive. It's really the biggest in who can exploit the unfairness of the economy. So what did the commission actually find and what did they conclude from this? The commission at this point looked at cities over 30,000 people and found that the cities with the highest proportion of chain stores had the lowest proportion of independent stores. So as number of chain stores went up, number of independent stores went down. Specifically, they found there was one independent store per 484 people in cities with the most chain stores and one independent store per 265 people in cities with the lowest number of chain stores. So their conclusion, to quote, This evidence does undoubtedly show that the growth of the chain has had considerable effect on the fortunes of the independents. End quote. But the commission didn't suspect independent retailers would be eliminated completely. Their thought and their conclusion I find fascinating, because again, they suggest in a fair economy, stores offering the best value will survive. In an unfair economy, chain stores will survive because of their size and they will survive at the expense of independent stores. And so for me, I wrote a blog post about this about a year ago, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. And so when I think back to growing up in Amherst, we had chain stores. We had Zellers, we had Kmart, we had Sobeys and the Resavisi and 
No Frills was downtown and Canadian Tire, Home Hardware. Like we had all these chains, but we also had a thriving independent retailer scene. So for example, the old mall had Zellers on one end and Save Easy on the other end. This was the mall my mom, where she opened her store. So there was my mom's locally owned women's clothing store. There was locally owned pharmacy, right? The bank was out there. Pizza Joe ran Pizza Delight. There was the Starcade full of, you know, the latest arcade games. There was local hairstylists. Cranic Sporting Goods was next to my mom's store. And even at that point, the mall was locally owned. The other mall, the Kmart Mall, had Kmart at one end and Sobeys at the other. And they had bookstore, they had jewelers, you know, the Royal Donut Hole was there, which just, I still have imprinted in my brain the smell, which was just a distinct mix of fresh coffee, stale donuts, and cigarettes. That, if I ever smell it, that's the first thing I think of as the Royal Donut Hole. Anyways, on top of that, we also had somewhat of a full downtown. Like, we had Mansour's Menswear, we had Margolian's Department Store, Pridham's Photo Studio, Moss Jewelers, there was a grocery store downtown, there was three gas stations close to downtown, there were still a number of neighborhood grocery stores around, like I talked about above. You know, we had the locally owned radio station and newspaper. So we had the chain stores and we had a thriving retail scene. So using the commission's logic from above, we must have also had a fair economy for both chain stores and independent retailers to operate in. Today, it's not the case at all. No locally owned daily newspaper, no locally owned commercial radio station. We have, you know, the one locally owned grocery butcher store, there are a few neighborhood convenience stores around. We have one standalone independent menswear store, one women's clothing store. You know, I have one independent furniture store, one independent restaurant, and one independent coffee shop. So we don't have that vibrant independent scene anymore, but we do have a massive Walmart, huge superstore, the Sobeys, Canadian Tire. I mean, when our Canadian Tire was built in the mid-90s, it was billed as the largest Canadian Tire east of Montreal. So our independent stores haven't gone extinct but our retail scene is dominated by the chains, right? And so again, using the logic from the commission up above, we can assume, or I will assume, we're operating in an unfair economy again. That's what the next episodes are going to be about. What is an unfair economy? How did mass buyers exert the pressure previously? And are they doing it again? We're going to look at some of the practices mass buyers used in the 1930s to learn about how they dominated and exploited small retailers and manufacturers. You know, we're gonna tackle discounts, free deals and premiums, advertising allowances, lost leaders, deceptive packaging and short waiting, plus misleading advertising. Are we seeing the similar tactics used to exploit small retailers and manufacturers today? Because as the commission concludes, this theoretical defense of mass buying overlooks the fact that the mass buyer brings his pressure on a group of workers primary producers, and small manufacturers who are particularly defenseless. End quote. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it or any of the other episodes, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to now. That helps us spread the word immensely. Otherwise, thank you again for listening. We'll see you back in a few weeks. Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.